Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we're in our series, uh, Blueprints, because the book of James is really a blueprint on how a Christian should live their life, on how we should live and interact with the world around us. Last week, we, we noticed that James was telling us what our attitude needs to be in regards to the Word of God. Well, today we're going to look at what, what I call an unchristian attitude. And I'm just going to be up front with you and tell you, I'll say unchristian or unchristlike, and I mean the same thing, but I've, I've battled on which terminology to use. But sometimes we have this unchristian attitude, and James is going to point this out to us in regards to how we treat people. Uh, many of us remember uh, 9-11, where we were and what happened. Uh, but we didn't experience the aftermath, the, the cleanup, as Greg was talking about Eastern Kentucky today, uh, what, what's happening there, families who are grieving, just all sorts of those. We watched it from a distance. We prayed from a distance. But we didn't see all the things that happened in the, in the days following. Well, Jim Simbala, who's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, had four members who, who died during 9-11. And, and their church had different funeral services, and one of them happened to be of a replacement. And he writes about this story in one of his books, and he says during the service, Rudy Giuliani, who was the mayor there of New York at the time, came and was to be speaking during the service. Giuliani began by saying, you know, I've, I've, I've learned some things through this process. I've realized that, that we're all alike. That we should treat one another alike. He said, firemen, EMS, police officers, in the midst of a tragic situation like this are running to the situation while everybody is running away. And he said, as I noticed, they were, as they get there, none of those EMS firemen or policemen ever think about, I wonder how many black people are in this building or how many Jews I'll have to save or whether they have a $24,000 a year job or $400,000 a year job. He said, how would you like it if, if they got to the 75th floor where you were and they said, excuse me, we're here to rescue the boss, not you. He said, that's not their job. That's not what they do. And then he said these words. He says, no, when you're saving lives, they're all precious. That's how we're supposed to live all the time. How would, how would you want cops to treat you if you were on the 75th floor that day? Would you want them to say, excuse me, but I've got to get to the boss, boss out first? Not exactly. 
He went on to say, I've not always lived my life that way. But I realize that all lives matter and I'm going to start living my life that way. Well, Jim Sambala is sitting there in this funeral service and he's just kind of overwhelmed. He's like, there's Rudy Giuliani, our mayor, and he's sharing the gospel and doesn't know it. Because the gospel is real simple. That Jesus died for all. For every one of us, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our income, regardless of how we grew up, regardless of what part of the country we are, regardless if we're a Democrat or a Republican, he died for us all. And aren't you glad of that? Amen. Thank you, Menace. At least we got one who's glad of that. Christ died for us all. Well, James in chapter 2 begins to have this conversation. And he begins to talk about favoritism and how the church was, in, in a lot of ways, showing favoritism. And, and let's just, let, let me just lay this out. Favoritism or prejudice at, at the root of it is all about an attitude. It's about an attitude who you like, who you don't like. It's an attitude of what you think about somebody whether it's right or wrong. In fact, Webster defines uh, prejudice as this. It's a preconceived judgment or opinion. In other words, you've, you've come up with the thought, the opinion long before you've looked at the facts. An adverse opinion or learning formed without just grounds or before sufficient knowledge. And sometimes we, we develop that. We, we begin to have attitudes that say, you know, I don't like this person or that person because of this or that. And, or I like this person. We want this type of people. And, and these type of people are the type we should be reaching because you fill in the blank. Well, James has a word to tell us about what our attitude should be when it regards people. So if you have your Bibles and you're at James chapter 2, would you stand as we honor God's word? First 13 verses of James chapter 2 says this. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing gold rings and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here, in a good place and yet you say to the poor person stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool haven't you made the distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts listen my dear brothers and sisters don't didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if, you're, if you fulfilled the royal law prescribed in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you will do well. However, if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you commit adultery, if you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You may be seated. James begins to unpack this for us. And he begins by telling us what an unchristlike attitude looks like. He begins by helping us understand that there is this attitude within the church there that is the problem. It's, it's kind of one of those things he, he understands that, that they are having an issue and it's unchristlike. And that in the midst of all that's going on, they tend to, to show favoritism. And that favoritism is so against the grain of, of who God is that it's becoming a problem. And so James writes to them and begins to help them understand that an unchristlike attitude is favoritism. And so the first thing you see, you see it on the screen, is unchristlikeness. That it's a that it's a sin to have this prejudice, this this favoritism, this this attitude. Now you, you may be sitting here thinking, well, this is going to be an easy message today because I'm not prejudiced. I don't have anything against anybody's color or their skin. But at the at the heart of the matter is an attitude. And the attitude goes from not only what a color of skin or an economic status of a person is, but it comes into things like what we like and dislike. It comes down to what, whether or not we agree with someone or not. And sometimes we, we develop these attitudes that we dislike. And, and let's be honest, we see it in the world around us. Favoritism is one of those things that we see every day played out before us. Let me give you some examples. Um, if, you, if you work in an HR department, you realize that there are some laws and things that are, are in place that helps keep people from favoritism. So you just, you, you have to go through the process. But here's some things. There are ways around that. Uh, we, we talk about ways around that. I've, I've heard uh, people talk about how you, you've still got to go through this process, but at the end we can do this. Uh, we're building, a, in the state of Kentucky, they're building a Ford uh, battery plant down the road in Glendale. And talk about favoritism, you can only work on that job unless if you are a union worker. Means if you're not a union shop, you can't go there. That's favoritism. We see favoritism on television. Depending on the channel you watch, it may be Democratic favoritism. Republican favoritism. There is no bias or unbiased opinion. It slants one way or another. We see favoritism in local politics. We see it, we see it in every place. James is to this point where he's telling the church, but that's not what we are to be as, as people who follow Christ. Because Jesus came for all of us. I mean, we wouldn't, where would we be if Jesus only came for the Jews? I can tell you. 
we'd all be lost and going to hell. We'd all be spending eternity separated from God. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, Luke 19.10 tells us, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And guess what? We were all lost or you are lost at this moment. Which means Christ came to set us free. Christ came for you and for me. So we find this, this unchristlike attitude. And as we have that, we're no longer making a difference in the world. We're only worried about ourselves. So the second unchristian attitude we have is simply this. It's unfriendly. Unfriendly. James goes on and begins to tell the story about two people who come into the church. Now, in our culture, if we tweak that story a little bit, we, we can make that story fit to some churches. In fact, we, we, you might be able to give testimony to the, of a church like that. I did, or I can. It's, it's a story of a church that, that encounters two different couples who come into the church. One couple, they're, they're, the, they're great pillars of the community. He's the CEO of a company. He, they own their own company. They, they look good. They've got nice clothes. They've got a fancy car they drive. The other couple that comes into the church that day look like they've been wearing their clothes for a few days and they need to be washed. And it's interesting, both couples come into the church, but one couple seems to get all the attention. Oh, we're so glad you're here. We hope you'll join us. Come be in our Sunday school class. Come do this with us. Come, come do this. The other couple, a few people say hello. Nobody invites them to their Sunday school class. Nobody invites them to lunch. Which couple do you think favoritism was shown to? And, and, and make no mistake, that happens. Again, some of you in this room can give that testimony. We have attitudes that we want certain people, or we have, or we have attitudes. I like this. One. We have attitudes of certain certain possessions, because we've all heard stories of churches where people have walked in and a guest is sitting in a pew, and somebody walks up and says, "You're sitting in my seat," and we laugh. Now, that's happened here. And, and here's the thing, we, we want to make sure our Christ-likeness is seen more than our, our unchristianness or unchristlikeness. We want to make sure that those who are Christ-like say, welcome, we're glad you're here, versus you're sitting in my seat. We want to be friendly, not unfriendly. And so James gives a very real, paints a real picture of what an unfriendly church looks like. Because they, they're, they're choosing. They're putting their choice in front of God's will. Uh, the third unchristian attitude is simply this. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. Now, look again with me at the text at John, or James 2, 5. Listen, dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? And to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. Now, I want you to look at the verse. 
He says, didn't God choose the poor in this world? Now, the poor in this world there is not uh, poor in spirit. You know, sometimes we like to think that's just the poor in spirit. But this, this whole text is about, about uh, wealth and who we're picking and who we're not picking. And I don't have time this morning to unpack all this. We, we did some of this Wednesday night when we talked about the rich young ruler there in, in Mark chapter 10. God's never opposed to people who have money. That's never been the issue. Um, the issue is, and we see this from Genesis to Revelation, the issue is, where is your heart in all this? In James's culture, if you had money, um, much like it is with some of our culture today, if you have money, your faith and your trust was in your money. Go back to Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. He had this love of money and he couldn't leave his money to go and follow Jesus. So it's all about the heart. But in this moment, when James speaks about the poor, the poor, he's just reminding us what we see over and over in Scripture. God has this tendency to use the, the, the low, the lonely, the poor, the insignificant to bring about his glory. I mean, he's Joseph, that one of the younger brothers. He used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look, his disciples were all guys who were fishermen. They hadn't been, they, they weren't of any account to be in a rabbi school. They were only good for fishing. And yet God begins to do a work in them and changes the world. And so here's James and he's saying, don't be unreasonable. Look at what God does. You like the you want the rich and the powerful, but they're the ones who take you to court. They're the ones who, who oppress you. They're the ones who do all this stuff. Look at what, who God's using. Love them. Go after them. This culture that was present in James is somewhat present today in America. Listen, you know this without me telling you this, but None of us in this room can earn salvation, right? We're, none of us have the ability to work our way to heaven. In fact, Deuteronomy tells us this. And God wasn't attracted to you and didn't choose you because you were big and important. The fact is, there was almost nothing to you. It wasn't what we did that it was what God did. It was what God did to reach us, to show us his love. So, an unchristian attitude is unchristlike, is unfriendly, unreasonable, and fourthly, is unloving. Unloving. When we read this text, we come to the place, and James uses this word, royal law. So you'd be good to know this royal law, keep this royal law. Let's unpack this royal law there. We know the law, love your neighbor as yourself. But why does he call it the royal law? Well, let me give you a few reasons. First, it was given by God. 
We find that that royal law was laid out in the Old Testament to us. God was the one who gave it to us. Leviticus tells us this. He says, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your own community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am who, church? So, King, King, King God, our great and mighty King, gave us this law. Jesus affirms this law in John 13, 34. And the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding us to live this law out. So when we talk about the royal law, it's an important law because we've gotten it from God. The second thing is, it's one of two rules that trump everything else. It's one of two rules that trumps everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and then love your neighbor as yourself. If we do those two things, everything else falls into place. But it's when we, when we choose not to do those two things. So that's the reason we call it the royal, or James calls it the royal law. And then thirdly, obeying it reflects Christ in us. So you want Christ to be revealed in you? You obey, love your neighbor as yourself. You obey, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's real simple. That's the reason we find this royal law. It, it's one of those that challenges us to obey. But then he gets into this, gets into this thing that, that reminds us that's what we're to do. And anything else, anything else takes us off. He reminds us that if, if you just skip this, if you, if you decide on your own that you're not going to do what God commands, then you come to what I call the fifth unchristian-like attitude, and it's unlawful. Unlawful. Remember, we have unchristlike, we have unfriendly, we have unreasonable, we have unloving, now we have unlawful. And unlawful, James says, is is reminding us that you can't keep one and break the other and think it's okay. Now that's hard for us in our Western culture. Because in our Western culture, we have kind of listed those things that we think are more significant than others. For example, um, I, I think if I ask you, don't, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I think if I ask you, do you think murdering is a greater offense than lying? I think everybody would say yes. That's our Western culture. Um, would you uh, say that uh, stealing is not as great as an adulteress? You know, maybe you would say that. But, but in God's eyes, they're all sins. And you break one, you break them all. You are a sinner. You need rescue. You can't say, I'm good here, and yet knowingly break this. Because when you do that, you live an ungodly life. You live an unchristian life. You are saying, I know that the, I'm supposed to do this, but I choose to do this. It's, God gave us the gave us what we're to do. He calls them sin. And to do anything else is unlawful. I had a great, I had a great understanding of this uh, several months ago. 
several months ago, um, let me rephrase that, a year ago, uh, over a year ago, our Southern Baptist Convention was in turmoil. We had our national convention in Nashville, Tennessee. I went to that convention. Long and short of it, there had been sexual abuse cases brought to the convention and, and our executive committee, which oversees things, had turned a blind eye to these abuse victims who were looking for help. And they, uh, the, the committee refused to deal with the situation. We refused to at least make the, the, the minister's name public so they wouldn't go to another church and serve another church and have the same case. Lots of things had happened and it had become, uh, it had become very apparent. And so in Nashville last year, uh, we voted as a convention that we wanted uh, to, to have a, a third party investigation to look into all these accusations and we wanted a, a true report and if need be we wanted to repent, we wanted to fix that and we did not want that to be a part of who we were. Other, other denominations have had issues and, and hadn't always dealt with it, we wanted to deal with it the right way or that's how the convention voted. And that became a big deal because following the convention, the executive committee who who not all of them who were serving on the executive committee knew all this, but you know, they were the ones who kind of had bypassed some of this. And the term became, uh, there was a legal term that became the issue. And Charlie Goodman's here, he'll, he can help me if I, if I misspeak. Uh, it's called waiving client privilege. Well, the convention said, let's waive it. Now, Charlie's here, and I'm sure he would never convince his client to waive attorney privacy. Yeah, exactly. So that's not something you do, right? That's just not, that's just not something we want done, right, Judge Nance? You, you just don't do that. Yeah, he's giving me the thumbs up. Don't do that kind of thing. So here, here's the thing with our convention, though. We voted to do that because this had gotten so deep that if we don't do it, it would still feel like we're covering things up. Well, it became a hot-button topic, so I called a, a pastor friend of mine in Paducah and who had served on the executive committee, wasn't there anymore, and, and he said, I said, hey, I just, I need you to help me understand where we are and why, why we don't do this. And he said, well, Ernie, you know I'm not on it anymore. Yes, I know. He says, if I was there, you need to know I vote to waive attorney-client privilege because if we don't, I think the convention's always going to think we're hiding something. But here's what happens when you waive attorney-client privilege. He said, we got sued, and he didn't go into all the details of what happened, but some accident happened on their church grounds, a ch child or a teenager or something. And he said, I told the attorney, do whatever we have to do. Let's just open the books. Let's just be honest with them. We're not trying to hide anything. Let's, let's just, you know, basically waive attorney-client privilege. I, I, I don't want anybody to think we're trying to cover anything up here at the church. He said, in those meetings, what I was not prepared for was they sat, we're talking about, and I'm assuming, but maybe it was a playground issue. And we sat in this meeting to try to resolve this playground issue, and they wanted to talk to me about the, the bus rules. They wanted to ask me about how our nominating committee worked. They wanted to ask me all these questions. He said, when you waive attorney-client privilege, basically you open all the doors and everything is laid bare. And if they can show you negligence over here, 
then they can say, well, maybe they were negligent over here, and then they can win the case. He had a couple other things to say about attorneys. I won't say that because we have some in the room. But anyhow, no, he didn't do that. But uh, uh, here's the thing. When you and I stand before God, do you realize we, there is no attorney-client privilege? Everything you've ever done in your life will lay bare. And everything in your life requires a payment for your sin. You have no attorney going, yeah, but I didn't know. Yeah, but this. The only thing you can hope for when you stand before God is you've placed your faith and trust in Christ because when it comes time for the punishment to be dealt, Jesus will say, I've done it. I've paid the price. Other than that, if you don't place your faith and trust in God, your punishment will be separated. To be separated from God. So when we talk about keeping the law or not keeping the law, an unchristian attitude says, I know I'm not supposed to do X, but I'm going to do it anyways. I know I shouldn't gossip. I know I shouldn't have an affair on my wife. I know I shouldn't steal. I know I shouldn't do these things. I know I shouldn't lie. But I'm going to do it anyway. We become our own judge. And when we stand before the Father, all that has to be laid out bare. There'll be no attorney fighting on our behalf. The sentence will be guilty because we're all sinners. The only difference is who's paying, the, who's paying your, for your crime? Who's paying for your sins? That's Jesus. Last thing I'll tell you this morning. Unchristian attitude is unmerciful. Unmerciful. James closes with this thought. If you're a believer, you've seen mercy. You've received mercy. Why wouldn't you then reveal mercy to others around you? Why wouldn't you give that mercy to others that you so richly have given as a believer, it is, it is the outcome of who you are. Your life, if you live it out loud, your faith in Christ, others will see Christ. Others will see that mercy. James was reminding the church about their attitude and the way they, they're to live their life. He was reminding the church, listen, if you want to be a Christ follower, we love unconditionally. Our attitudes are Christ-honoring, Christ-focused, Christ-centered. This morning, Mike Thomason's not with us. I had to call him to make sure it wasn't my preaching. He said no. He called me, he actually called me yesterday to tell me, or one day this week to tell me he was leaving, wasn't going to be here today, and we talked this morning. Mike Thomason has left today to go to Blueford, Illinois. Blueford's where he grew up. He's gone back to his home church. It's where his grandparents were. It's where his dad and mom were. Blueford is a place where Mike has taught Sunday school before. He's preached 
multiple times. In fact, when he was taking care of his dad, he would, he would preach uh, sermons for him when they needed him. He's done sermon series. He's done everything. This trip's going to be a little different for Mike. I called this morning telling him I was praying for him. Because today's the last day for, Blueford, for that church in Blueford, Illinois. It's first, I think it's First Baptist Blueford. This is the last service of the whole. Won't be any more after today. They'll walk out today, turn the lights off, lock the door, and the church will no longer exist. We talked about this, and we, we, we talked about how the church got in the shape that it's gotten into. And it's, it's the same story for many churches. It's a story in which churches come to a place and they think, well, it's got to be my way. I want it done this way. You told me a story this, this morning about how, how the church was going through something and they just, just didn't want to change. And it's really a story about an attitude who says, we like it our way. We like it with just us. But the problem with that is, God never blesses that. God doesn't bless that attitude. God doesn't bless an unchristian attitude in any way, shape, or form. And so for First Baptist Blueford, they've seen the effects. They've, they've seen their heyday of large numbers, and now they're, they're seeing the end of an era. James gives us a very clear picture of how we're to love people. And sometimes we, we have have an attitude that says I love you as long as you agree with me as long as you think like I think as long as you're a Democrat or a Republican as long as you vote the way I do at church as long as you those aren't the things God calls us to do he calls us to love people our deacons had this conversation the other night when you love people and have a desire to help them see the gospel, that means you're willing to do whatever it takes to share the gospel. But that begins with an attitude to say, God, you're more important than me. Your ways are greater than mine. Your will be done, not mine. What's your heart and attitude look like today? Does it reflect that of God, it's your will, not mine. Whatever you say, whatever we need to do. Or does your heart say, no, I like it just my, that way. They can go someplace else. Oh, they're, they, they, they look like us. We want them. They like what I like. Let's get them. I pray our hearts mimic that of Christ. If you're here this morning and there's a decision on your heart, I'll be here. We'd love to, to tell you how to become a Christian, how to join our church, how to make Christ the number one in your life. Would you stand with me?